Welcome to the IOTICS podcast, where we are talking to inspiring humans who are not just doing things differently, but doing different things to make their world, and by extension ours, a better place. We'll explore how they are bringing people and technology together to solve complex challenges today. Our guest this week is Gareth Hetheridge. He's the CIO at Leonardo UK and the Director for Digital and IT. Gareth's a fascinating individual, from his time serving in the RAF through to being an army reservist, working at Rolls-Royce and now in his role at Leonardo, he has a passion for the purpose and mission of the defense industry, but recognizes the need for culture change, for mindset change, and driving both of those by increasing the diversity of the people within the industry and the diversity of the organizations that the industry works with. This is a drum that Gareth has long been beating but hearing how Leonardo are doing it, where they're doing it, and where they're going next is fascinating. I hope you enjoy it. Gareth, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, we obviously have met before and know each other, but it would be great if you could just give me a little bit of background on you and your role at Leonardo UK. Of course, uh, absolute pleasure to be here. So uh, I head up for the UK business across uh, Leonardo, uh, all of the digital and IT workloads. So I, I see that as effectively four customers, um, our three divisions, electronics, helicopters and cyber division, and then all of our shared services as well. So. HR, finance, uh, etc. So, effectively, everything IT, digital, and an increasing nature data than I sit across those uh, across Leonardo UK. Perfect. And you, but you haven't always been industry side, is that right? That's correct. So, started my career uh, in the Royal Air Force as a regular, uh, then left in uh, 2011, uh, spent 10 years at Rolls Royce, uh, then joined Leonardo, and I've been an Army reservist in, in the uh, interim period as well. So, probably quite a kind of zigzag career, as we like to say, across regular experience, reservist experience, defense industry, and then that uh, sitting across air, land, sea, and, and subsea platforms. But I think, you know, in my career, it's given me a really good insight into uh, two of the, the three services, um, but also industry side. So I think, you know, certainly when we start talking about data, how we really understand that the customer insight um, from, from two very different uh, elements, you know, one has been aircrew in the Air Force, and the second has been a military intelligence. So two very, very different uh, parts of the military. Uh, but uh, the commonality uh, of data and then ultimately how do we operate across multi-domains is, is definitely a, a, an insight that I've been able to glean from that experience. And, and as we move to thinking about that operating in multi-domains, it feels to me that there is a change happening right now or, or has been happening over the past um, couple of years with the demands that are being put on uh, the UK and global defence industry in its broadest sense in, in terms of um, customers and, and industry. What is the challenge that Leonardo and you are seeing right now for, for the military? I, I certainly think the, the threat landscape is, is getting no simpler. Um, we, you know, we only have to read the news to see the, the challenges we have uh, both on European shores and, and further afield at the moment. So that certainly that threat landscape is, is not getting uh, either any easier or any less complex. If you like. There are further challenges around uh, equipment procurement programs, around the complexity of, of operating in some of those space. The 
the threat landscape, I think the threat actors are becoming um, more and more sophisticated, in particular if we look at cyberspace. So how we address those um, is, is a real challenge. And I think there are many in defence that see that a multi-domain integration approach is the right way of overcoming some of those challenges. And by using data, as we'll talk about later, is as key to driving insight and, and effectively accelerating the UDA loop, um, be that in the in the mission space or the availability space or, or uh, back office, if you like, within industry as a key tenant to, to overcoming some of those challenges and, and ultimately beating some of those more sophisticated threat vectors that we see today. So... I think that's the real challenge. I think we have pretty uniformed view about the threat and the challenge. I think we have pretty uniform view on that how data and, and multi-domain approach uh, and interoperability will overcome some of those. The real challenge is the middle bit of how we make that that work in practice. And and I think that's really interesting uh, and clear on the kind of the role of data to accelerate the OODA loop. Um, and this is about decision making. Just, I know it's incredibly familiar to anyone who's uh, touched the military and uh, and Colonel Boyd, who's a US Air Force, who came up with UDA Loop. But if I could just ask you to kind of briefly outline UDA Loop uh, for any listeners who aren't familiar with the concept. Yeah, effectively, it's a concept which, it, which as you said, is is much more understood within the military environments. Uh, and effectively, it is how do we uh, take different data insights from from different sensors. Um, how do we then orientate ourselves, make a decision, and then act on that, and ultimately be able to do that quicker than the adversary uh, that we are uh, fighting against? Now, that um, process, that loop, uh, that approach is is very well known within a military context, military circles, in, in a mission platform, a mission profile. What we're starting to find now, and a lot of the work we're doing at Leonardo, is, is actually how do we get that mindset and that culture across everything we're doing in data? So we now have a, an approach that looks at how do we operate in the in the back office, the, the digital engineering and digital operations? So how do we make our products better, faster, cheaper? That effectively is accelerating the UDA loop for, for our users <laughs> in Leonardo and factories across the UK. How do we do it in the service and availability space, which is effectively helping our customer accelerate the UDA loop in a availability of assets uh, point of view, be it that in, in Abbey Wood or in a in operation cell somewhere predominantly in the UK? And then also, how do we do it in the mission space where somebody is in a, a conflict environment? And if you look across those three, what we're finding is the the data approach, so taking data from disparate different source systems, the extraction of the data into a, a data platform. Um, we use a mesh and fabric type ar architecture to, to take that forward. And then what we would call the democratization of data, so enabling users closer to the data, close to the customer, they understand the domain, they understand the context, they understand why the product, the data product needs to be created in that way, giving them the freedom to create and innovate and ultimately accelerate the OODA loop. So how are you thinking about this need for, you know, pace seems important on this, the nature of who you're bringing in. You mentioned right at the start the benefit of the reservist being more people's exposure to the military, but also presumably military's exposure to more diverse ways of thinking and, and so on. Is, is this a necessary part of how we go from where we are today to where we need to be? It's absolutely essential. I think the diversity point there is really important you, you picked up on. So I'll use a couple of examples. Uh, Leonardo, earlier this year, we were very public about where we've been on, on public cloud and the use of public cloud for, for secure classifications because we're, we're very proud of, of the work that has been done. If you talk about pace there... January last year, we started building a data platform, common data platform for, for one of our divisions. 
we were unable to deliver the, the MVP by April, so within three to four months. That got capability into the hands of the users. Um, clearly, we got some feedback at that point. We then rolled that out across all sites by July of last year, uh, and that platform was then iterated three or four more times throughout uh, last year. In the second half of the year in parallel, we built out our cloud environment, um, went through all of the uh, the regulatory challenges of getting that to where it needs to be. Uh, and then the first quarter of this year, we migrated that data platform across onto cloud and are now leveraging all the benefits of additional analytics capabilities, uh, running 200 times faster, as we found our, our ETL uh, now on cloud, et cetera. And, and we went live uh, in, in March, April of this year. So that's a 13-month program, flash to bang, which is genuine spiral development because we've got something in the hands of the users quickly. We've really been able to elicit the business value of that. We've iterated it. In parallel, we've built out the, the target state environment, which have we said, wait for cloud. Clearly, <laughs> yeah. It would have been a lot longer to get it to the hands of the users. Uh, and then we'll continue to, to iterate and develop. So I think that pace and that approach, that kind of experimentally led approach is, you know, that's a great example. We talk about it a lot. There's a, a real tangible example uh, where we've done that. The point on diversity, I think, is incredibly important. Um, so we talk a lot, quite rightly, around gender diversity, and, and we're really proud of what we've done, Leonardo, already to try and improve the balance there. The two areas I don't think get a huge amount of airtime. One is uh, background, where people have come from. And you know, more recently, we have brought people into the, the Leonardo digital IT function from banking, financial services, from uh, civil aerospace, automotive, and they're biomedical science, and they're being able to bring a level of experience. And, and you mentioned pace coming and say, "Hold on, you know, I've done this cloud migration before at three other companies and three other industries. Why, why is it slow here?" <laughs> um, and clearly, there's some good reasons for that. But we're able to to add some balance into into the debate, which I think is really important. The second part is generational diversity. If we look at that cloud example. The lead architect, and remember, architecture is generally a discipline, I would say, you really need experience. You, you rely on people who've got 20, 30 years of experience in this space, quite rightly. But our lead cloud architect uh, is in his mid-20s. And I think initially there was a step change, there was a cultural <laughs> change there, because when we sat him down and said, you're going to be the lead on this, they said, okay, fine, but who do I report into? And, no, 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 you, you report into the CTO, it, it's all with you. So it took him, I think, a moment to really realize the, the gravitas of what we were asking him to do. Clearly, we gave him the right coaching and training and, and all the support. But we've spotted talent. He really understood cloud. He's been brought up on this. He hasn't had to unlearn 20 or 30 years experience around mainframe and on-premise environments because he effectively knows cloud better than he knows in on-premise environments. And we've allowed him to flourish and fly. So I think... Whilst it isn't the whole answer, defense, and we, we talked about you know, my career, there are a lot of people in defense who have come from uh, maybe a, a regular background and straight into industry or, or similar to me, maybe a regular reserve and, and uh, defense industry. So since 18, I've been, apart from a six-month secondment in civil aerospace, <laughs> I've, I've been in defense my entire, my entire working life. And that's brilliant because I think we really understand the, the purpose and the domain and we build that expertise. The challenge is we don't necessarily have the experience from um, financial services, banking, et cetera. So how we build that diversity is incredibly important. And I think a combination, and I, and I would say generational diversity has an impact there as well, because naturally, uh, often people serve 20 years in the military and then they join uh, industry. So for me, and, and part of my role as, as probably one of the younger um, uh, CIOs in the industry is trying to drive that view to say, we need to get a better balance and we need to get more diversity from different backgrounds 
and we need to get more generational diversity where it makes sense. It's not the whole answer, but I think the balance is too skewed the wrong way at the moment. So, you know, there's a couple of uh, good examples that I've seen over the last two years where we've enabled the right people, the right freedom, and they've absolutely flourished. And thinking about that enablement of people, one of the other things that I've heard you speak about before is that alongside that kind of pace and the diversity of thought, you then have a change in the culture actually being driven by the data and the kind of behavioral change, but also a mental shift to a kind of good enough, you know, I've always found it curious, actually, when talking about data in a military sense. I, I grew up knowing the expression good enough for government work, which sl slightly meant bodging it. Um, but but yet then what I saw actually being implemented was a real belt and braces and we can only move ahead if every single yeah. line of every single 400 pages of requirement spec has been completely articulated, double checked three times and then uh, signed in triplicate. Sounds to me that, I mean, if you're going from um, flash to bang in 13 months, you're moving at pace, but you're also culturally changing how people are thinking about what they're doing and the way they're doing it, aren't you? Indeed. So, I mean, certainly around the, the cultural change, a couple of, I think, useful vignettes that I've seen over the last uh, year or two. One is around insights into data that you then go and sit down with, with the individual on, on the shop floor in this example to say, why are we seeing a, a huge amount that's tagged in that particular way? And, and the answer was it was the first drop down on SAP. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's a, I think that's partly understanding human nature. But then it's part of the, the coaching and training. So, well, actually, this the, this data is being looked at. It is, it is being used. You know, the realism of that conversation was the individual didn't think anyone was looking at the data, so it's the quickest thing to do to take the top drop down. Well, actually, this data is being used, and these are the insights we're trying to drive from it. So that was that was quite interesting. I've seen some really strong leadership um, some years ago where uh, the SVP, it was a sales example, said, I'm only looking at the data that's in the pipeline that's in the CRM platform. And the answer was, data in CRM's wrong. You know, here's some PowerPoint. I said, no, 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 no. I'll look at CRM and, and make sure the data's right in there, and, and that's what we use. So I think his, his first kind of pipeline review was about <laughs> 10 minutes long. Um, but it, it quickly drove that kind of top-down approach on getting the data right in the source system. And currently we're seeing, with the data platform I talked about, it's giving exact insight at the, at the most senior level, the ability to drill down into some of the data, and that clearly drives maybe more insight than they've had before. So, uh, you know, three areas where we're changing the culture as kind of real vignettes or the challenges you see. And my counsel to that is always, this isn't a bad thing. You know, the fact you've opened up uh, an area where you maybe haven't had that insight for a number of years and you've now found something you didn't know was happening, okay, but you can work with that because we're now able to, you know, you can only fix what you can see type thing. So I think the tooling and the platform is critical because without it, you can't do it. But actually, it's only a small percentage of, of the challenge. The bigger piece is around how do you transform your processes, your, your culture, but it's a data-driven approach in terms of doing it. I think it's um, fantastic hearing about both yeah, the, the drop-down, and I think we've seen that mirrored elsewhere, um, Rich Walker on this podcast talked about uh, police statistics that are being skewed by four foot ten men because they happen to be at the top of the drop down. Um, but also that you can only fix what you can see. There's a very famous data case of trying to work out where to put armament on bombers. And what they were looking at was the bombers coming back and they had holes in their tail fins and wings and, and so on. And we're like, well, these are the places that need to be armored because those that's where it's being shot. And they'd missed that well, these are the ones that are making it back. The ones that get hit in the fuselage don't don't make it back Indeed, to base. Yeah. Um, so if you can surface 
the data, if you can look at it, if you can start to investigate it, then actually, and bring in, to your point, that domain-specific knowledge of understanding what that data means, what the context is, and so on, that ability to then make better decisions faster with greater impact seems to me to be a crucial part of, of tying this together into a, an actual loop, not, not to come back to a single concept. Indeed. I think you know the, the cultural element is, is, is an easy buzz phrase to say, <laughs> but, but it's, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial. Uh, there's a few really important points there. One is around democratization of data. So actually the, the ability to, to give customer-facing or, or business-facing units the freedom to go and innovate on, on data in the right way with the right freedoms is fantastic, but with the right support. And actually, I think we almost always think that uh, some of those business-facing units will want as much freedom as possible. And what we find is often that is the case, but often they'll come back and say, what I really want is some, some leadership and some coaching yeah. and some counsel. So we've come up with what we call, we, we have a hub and spoke model around data. So a small hub in the center uh, who provide the leadership, the governance, the, the training, the creation of the community. Because actually the right answer around data is, you know, ultimately I need eight, and, eight or 9,000 people across Leonardo doing this. Um, how do we create a community uh, across the whole organization that really is driving data forward, but with a, a centralized governance and sharing, and, and we kind of cohere that community, if you like. And then in each of the spokes, I think the key is there is a different level of maturity in each. So some spokes will say, well, actually, I really need some help. I know my vision. I want to transform my my particular part of, of the organization, but I don't really know how. So could you really help us? And, and that's going to be quite a heavy uh, spoke. And then we'll find others where they go, actually, I've got the data or I've got all the people. We know what we're doing. We just we just need access to, to the system or we need access to the platform and then have a, a fairly limited governance. So we found that the hub and spoke approach, that the, it isn't one size fits all, is, is incredibly uh, important going forward. To link back to the point you made around my kind of military experience and being good enough, I think I'd say one of the best things I've learned from my military experience is, is the time appreciation. So how long you have to make a decision and the criticality of it. And I think, you know, certainly some of my leadership team have been maybe surprised by that over the last two years and that a, a challenge will come up. And sometimes we'll say, well, do I need to make a snap decision now or do I have a week or, or two weeks? And, and here's my thought process. Here's my options. Here's the, the points that are going to drive that decision and how can you help mature each of those? But I've got a week, so I'm going to take a week. And I think that's, that's something the military is very good at, that kind of time depreciation of decision making. Is it a snap decision or, or can I um, can I have longer? And uh, there's a there's a military estimate, a one-third, two-thirds rule around planning yardsticks, et cetera. So I think that's something that the military is really, really good at. I think the other challenge is the, the criticality of the sensitivity of the data. So we operate in a secure environment. Uh, because of data based upon the classification of, of, of needing to protect that data in certain ways. But also in aerospace, a safety critical environment. And therefore, the testing of a, uh, a sensor or a helicopter or an engine um, is is quite rightly very, very rigorous. And that's, that's the domain that we've lived in for 100 years or so. That isn't necessarily the right approach on everything we want to go and do in the digital space because you don't necessarily need all of that rigor in all areas. But being really, really critical on actually these areas, we cannot take any risk because there's a cyber element to it, for example, yep. or there is a safety critical. So we have to do X, Y, and Z. And these areas, actually, we have freedom to innovate and, and we can, you know, there is a good enough point of view uh, to take that forward. That balance is quite a challenge and it goes back to the culture again. You know, how do we ensure that our leaders are comfortable with that, that level of 
certainty to say, you know, I absolutely can take a level of risk here, over here, uh, I cannot. And I think back to the hub and spoke model, some of what we're doing is creating the, what we call the data passporting process, but effectively it's the process to ensure all of that thought process has been stepped through, the rigor has been documented, and ultimately the right person is signing off the risk. But we are enabling our, our leaders to create those risk-based approaches in the right way with the right support um, all around data. I find this fascinating because I see all the parallels, unsurprisingly, uh, across what you're talking about in that, again, if you can provide people with the concept, the context rather, and the transparency on how they're making those decisions and where the risk is and what that means and the classification and so on within a framework, you know, this is our lightweight, decentralized governments, governance rather, that you suddenly enable people to, again, make the better decision, right? I mean, they're, they're then saying, okay, well, I understand the risk profile. I, can, I understand where I'm at. I understand what I'm trying to do. The other thing I find really interesting is, and you mentioned it earlier, is that you have almost a kind of um, a hub and spoke within Leonardo's community. Love the word community, unsurprisingly. Um, but then a noding out to then the communities or ecosystem that you touch around you. And... I've heard you speak before about that ecosystem being key, especially when you're developing things where we know there will be innovative technologies. We don't yet know who they are. I mean, it's, it's possible that the um, AI or machine learning uh, tool that will be critical to performance or um, maintenance or uptime in 2035 uh, is not yet invented by a company that does not yet exist. Um, how are you approaching that kind of ecosystem of how we how you as Leonardo can bring people in and work with them and leverage where where appropriate and where under the right governance, but leverage those talents that might exist even outside of Leonardo's increasingly diverse workforce. So I think the first point, and I make it for digital and IT in Leonardo, but the same point goes across Leonardo into the, the wider defence industry, is that we don't have all the answers. Uh, and I think that recognition is, is really the first step. So then you get to, well, well, actually, these are our expertise. So you know, if I talk for digital and IT, that is actually how do we do the data extraction quickly? How do we understand the, uh, the domain knowledge of our systems? How do we create a, a platform, a, a cloud-based analytics platform? And then how do we help provide some thought leadership into the, if you like, the consumption channels, be that BI dashboarding or data science or, or whatever it may be. And therefore, we help facilitate those business or customer-facing units to create new data products which they you know, take out to their respective customers and, and accelerate the OODA loop. So, you know, that's that's where we're strongest in, but then how do we facilitate that community and that co-creation for those who have got expertise in some of the other areas that we don't, but we can help facilitate and grow that within that framework. Now, if you extract that out to Leonardo as a company across, uh, across defence, the defence strategic partners or, or primes do not have all the answers. So how do we co-create with with the customer, with the defence primes, with SMEs, with consortium in a, a UK and an international sense, and ensure that we are making the best of what everyone can offer to ultimately accelerate the OODA loop on, on the grandest of scales, if you like. So that that's really the challenge. I think the approach has to be that co-creation, that freedom of manoeuvre. It has to be a recognition of the importance where it makes sense of data governance around the common architecture around in some places a single platform because there's real efficiencies in doing that and that's key to to unlocking all of this but actually the cultural approach needs to be 
enabling of, of much co-creation and, and freedom of action, freedom of maneuver. I know I keep saying those terms, but but they are they resonate across so many different of these domains that we talk about, be that in the back office, be that uh, in the availability and service or, or in the mission space, and be that UK or internationally, be it in Leonardo. I think the point still stands and, and we need to you know, drive that cultural approach across all of those entities uh, towards that common goal. with which you talk about this I find incredibly magnetic because when you're talking about this vision of the grandest scale you know this is a same pattern different scale piece right from the, yep. from the intern, internal divisions individual Indeed. enterprises individual developer possibly up to these global alliances who are protecting and defending uh, all that we hold dear ultimately you also spoke about bringing people in from diverse backgrounds, people with experience of uh, cloud in, in the sense of your chief architect, but also backgrounds in finance or consulting or whatever else it might be. Um, there is, though, a threat within the defense industry of losing those people, isn't there? I mean, as in, you know, I, I regularly see friends who are ex-military who, are because of uh, the, the work that's done on teaching people to lead and clarity of thought and all, that, all those decision-making processes, are being poached by banking or consulting or um, uh, global finance or whatever it might be. Um, but there's something special about the defence industry, isn't there, in terms of the purpose of what's happening? There is indeed. And I think we talk often about digital skills. And it is really important that we bring the right suitably qualified and experienced personnel uh, with the right skills, um, predominantly digital skills, into defence. And we, we grow them uh, and we, we attract them. It's also really, really important we retain them. And not the only reason, but one of the reasons I think we've leaked some skills um, over the last few years is that some of these platforms haven't been available. And therefore, if you're a data scientist and you get excited about defense or you get excited about your respective company, you then don't have the skills, uh, sorry, you don't have the, the tools to exploit those new skills. Uh, so if I, if I give an example of where we are on Azure, we can send people on Azure Fundamentals training for two days to, to learn how to build and operate on cloud. But if they can't come back and have an innovation environment they can go and operate in and ultimately a production environment, then those skills aren't put to good use and, and, and then we may lose the skills. Now, if those individuals leave Leonardo and go and work for, for Rolls-Royce or MBDA or BA Systems, then that's okay because we're keeping them within the defense industry. But more recently, I've seen people that have, have moved into oil and gas industry or banking, etc. So if we are to uh, overcome the digital skills gap we have, we absolutely have to retain as well as uh, attract new talent. So the, I think the, the key on the, the what I call as the trinity is defence has a unifying purpose. I think everybody across the defence industry buys into what it is we do and why we do it. Uh, and you only need to look at, at the news to understand uh, the, the context in which we operate in. Secondly, I believe we have some of the most interesting and complex engineering and scientific challenges uh, around our data. Where we let us down historically is the third element, which is providing the, the systems, the, uh, the cloud-based data analytics tools to allow people to exploit the analytics, to overcome some of those challenges in the context uh, that defence is operating in. I think we're now able to do that, or now certainly starting to be able to do that. 
And therefore, I think it's a really, really compelling offering to, to come and work on cloud-based analytics tools to overcome some of those wicked challenges in the context of defence. That is so powerful because I think that is a rebalancing, right? I think historically we've seen eras where it's been recognised that defence is at the cutting edge of problems and challenges and innovation. And then I remember 10, 15 years ago, there was a kind of, well, we'll wait and see what, you know, th there was an expectation that the best and brightest would be out in civilian or working for large tech firms and they would tell us what good looks like or we would buy it in. But now that, that rebalancing is happening, right? If we've got that, if we've got that trinity of purpose, technical challenges and tools, then we can get the best and brightest working on some of the most complex and important problems of our age. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I read an article recently which is around how cloud has, has transformed financial services over the last decade. Uh, and defence is at the start of that journey, but I absolutely think that we'll have an article, maybe not in 10 years, hopefully in five years' time, around how defence has been transformed by... And I talk about cloud because it's close to our, our heart, but um, there's a lot of these emerging technologies that we really need to, to be on the forefront of exploiting them. We talk about innovation a lot, and innovation doesn't necessarily have to be a, a brand new idea that nobody's ever created. It, it can quite often be creating, taking technology that is mature in other industries uh, and really driving it through in, in our sector. And, and that isn't always necessarily easy, given some of the, the IP and the data sovereignty and the, uh, the security challenges that I alluded to before. But bringing people in from other backgrounds who have done this and understand the technology, balancing that with people who have spent 20 or 30 years in defence and understand why we do things the way we do, you can get to a, a really strong balance, I think, and accelerate pace. And for me, you know, we go back to the, the digital skills point we made earlier, some of the leakage, I think, is down to not having the technologies and, and not providing the data science is, is probably the best example I can think of. But others, it can be the pace. You know, certainly our, our younger generation now want to move quickly. You can see that by the, you know, the, the time taken to read a news article now. <laughs> you know, I can't remember the last time I read a paper. I read the kind of, you know, the sound yeah. bites of the, the two minute read at the top. You know, that that's that's where we are now. And I think we have to be able to demonstrate pace in, in a lot of what we do. Yeah, the context of what we're talking about is changing. Some of the requirements are shifting, but a lot of the ideas around how we manage data governance, how we manage information, what we're doing with it, aren't new, are they? No, and I think that's part of the challenge. If you look at um, data and AI, large language models, they've, they've got a lot of interest over the last year or so. And quite rightly, uh, some of that is the technology is um, really accelerated in the last um, two years or so. And that's dry, drove this kind of huge change and, and interest um, in the technology. The danger is that those in the industry who have been talking about the importance of data and banging the drum for 10, 20, 30 years, and in some areas been ignored around data governance and the importance of data cataloging and, and all of the, the heavy lifting, the rigor that is essential to them being able to exploit the technology. Some of those have been ignored for, for a period of time. And I think it's, it would be really dangerous for us to um, lose and miss out on, on their experience and knowledge. Now, some things have changed. The context has changed. Technology's changed a bit. The architectural approach has changed. We now talk about the mesh and the fabric, which we wouldn't have done maybe 10 years ago. But I think it's really important that 
we you know look back at those in the in our organizations respectively who have been banging the drum on the importance of a data for a period of time and in some areas have been ignored and how do we kind of really go back and elicit their experience and their thoughts because a lot of the the right answers are in our respective organizations already i i think that's critical because when we uh, at iotics think about ai or ml and and you know I think those terms are currently being blended slightly um, and, and large language models and so on. You're absolutely spot on that that fundamental of is the data structured in the right way? Is it clean? You know, we've, we've talked about um, the need to understand what you've got, the context of it, the access to it under the right data governance requirements. You know, it's not all sat in a silo at the bottom of the ocean, but equally this is a defense contact. We're not going to have an open platform that everyone's logging into Indeed. to use. Yeah. Whether you're presenting that or whether you were presenting that as these people were banging the drum for 10 years ago to an individual, whether you're presenting it to a BI tool or whether you're presenting it to AI, ML, large language models, insert uh, Gartner buzzword here, um, whatever it is, I completely see that those fundamentals on what needs to be right, what needs to be there and how you do it. Our principles, even if some of the underlying technology has changed, the principles remain the same. The principles are the same, and and in some areas they are even more important. So if we talk about data lineage, so where data's come from, um, how has it been changed, who's who's changed it, that's essential for if we're going to start looking at large language models and using them for in a, uh, a defense environment or in a security environment uh, or certainly in a safety-critical environment. So having that understanding the data lineage, where it's come from and how it's been adopted it is absolutely essential. And, and that's what the data governance is a lot, but it's going to be absolutely crucial for some of the um, the technology that is getting more airtime at the moment, I'd say, absolutely. And just as a final thought, if you could do a rallying cry or a call to action for anyone listening to this, what would you like to tell them about either Leonardo or the defence industry or both? First point for me is, is I'm genuinely excited. Hopefully you can hear some of that come through in the in the, in the podcast because I think we have a, a fantastic opportunity to do something genuinely transformational. And I think we're starting to do that. There's a long way to go, but I think there is hopefully some of the vignettes I've, I've shared today show that this is real. We are doing this right now. And, you know, I'd love more people to, to come on the journey with us, be that uh, joining Leonardo, but also as that wider ecosystem to co-create with us, um, be that our partnerships across the strategic partners in defense, be that the our customer, our, our SMEs, our startups, um, the answer is is all of those things. So I think for me is is really getting on board and joining us on the journey, which is really exciting. The the other part is challenging um, because as I said before, we haven't got all the right answers. And and I have a point of view, I have a perspective. Um, many of the areas we can back up because we've done it <laughs> and we are doing it. But but there'll be people listening who will go, I don't agree with that, or we do it differently. And, you know, I'd love to, to hear those because actually, you know, part of doing this is to, to put out a point of view and a, a frame of reference. But, you know, in part, it's to be challenged and, and finesse our thinking because there's definitely areas we can do better. Um, so I'd, I'd love to hear some of those as well. Fantastic. Gareth, thank you so much. found it fascinating. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks so much to Gareth. I think you can really hear how much Leonardo believe in what they're doing and the journey that they're on to transform not only their organization, but the whole industry. Thank you to Kennington Podcast Studios for hosting us for this production. Thank you to Snaffle Podcasts for all their editing. And thank you for listening. 
Until next time.